Well, good morning again. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Today we are moving into the seventh commandment. We're in this Ten Commandments series, recognizing that each of the commands of God, Maria reminded the children this morning, each of these commands of God are not words of an overbearing taskmaster, but the words of a tender, loving father who knows what's best for his children. And so he gives us these commands to actually better our life. So we're at the seventh commandment. Let's read this out loud together on the screen from Exodus chapter 20. You shall not steal, or thou shalt not steal, is maybe how you learned it. It's a pretty straightforward command, right? I mean, that's it. Settles it. We're done with it. But I want to point out this commandment does not come with an asterisk. You know how those pharmaceutical commercials, they spend more time on the asterisk than they do on the, you know, this, take this product, it's great, but blah, 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 blah. So the commandment is not you shall steal unless it's from the government or unless it's something really small or unless it's something you really want. There's no asterisk on this commandment. You, we are called not to steal, period. But the fact is, the truth is, we've all stolen something, either knowingly or unknowingly, at some point in our life. And you say, well, how do you steal something unknowingly? I'll give you an example from my childhood. Back when I was little, probably somewhere around kindergarten, uh, my older brother, actually I had several older brothers, they were like 6, 10, 11 years older than me. We were in the store, and my older brother convinced me that the clearance rack was actually stuff that the store was going to throw out anyway. So they actually wanted you to just take it. I mean, what are brothers for, right? So, so I went and I was like, well, this is good stuff they're throwing out here. So I put it in my pockets, got out to the car, and I can still remember the look of horror on my mom's face when she realized I had stuff in my pockets that we didn't pay for on the way out of the store. And she quickly marched me back into the store so we could pay for it. Uh, that was kind of unknowingly stealing something. But there's all kinds of stealing. We're going to get into that today. Uh, Luther in, Martin Luther, in his explanation for each of the commandments in the small catechism, he kind of goes into depth. He asks the question, what does this mean? And then he gives an explanation of what it means not to steal. And so he says, uh, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God. You, you hear the uh, echo of the first commandment with that so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way. But, and then he goes on to expand on the deeper meaning of the commandment, as Jesus often did, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. So the commandment covers not just taking things, but actually protecting our neighbor's possessions and income. And then when you realize, as Jesus often taught, that our neighbor is much more than just the people living on our street, people next to us, you realize that this commandment against stealing is really ultimately about selfishness, right? We've looked at the commandments and we see how the, the commandment to honor our mother and father is really about authority, and the commandment not to murder is really about anger, and the commandment uh, you know, about adultery is really about uh, deeper, our deeper lusts and desires. So this commandment against stealing is really a commandment against selfishness. 
I remember once when uh, my wife was kind of cleaning out the fridge, um, we were eating some leftovers and uh, came across, I did something I don't normally do, and we had, the kids were still living at home at that time, and there was a, a chicken dish in the fridge, and I just, I called dibs, and I said, the chicken dish is mine, you can have whatever else you find, right? <laughs> Even kind of embarrassing to say it, uh, and you can laugh at that, but how different is grabbing something before your neighbor can get it, how different is that than taking something from your neighbor? When in my greed, I make sure I get the last item on the shelf in the store or the last chicken dish in the fridge, lucky me, unlucky neighbor, right? We should, we should ask ourselves in that situation, what would Jesus do? Well, he would multiply more chicken, but since we can't do that, we have to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? And how would he want us to be rather generous with it? And one of the things I've come to discover in my, in my life and in my ministry, I, I think of generosity this way, and, and that is, and it applies across the board to, to all kinds of things. Generosity comes when it's something that I have, but you want it, or I have it, but you need it. When I let go of that thing, then I'm being generous. You can kind of take that and apply that uh, to this commandment or into other areas of your life as well. So stealing is more than just um, what we take. Stealing also takes more from us than just that item. I'll give you an example. Uh, when Rochelle and I were uh, early in our marriage, we were taking a little um, trip over to the Bahamas, and we had flown uh, into Fort Lauderdale, and uh, that's Rochelle's car there, the one that's broken into. You can kind of tell this is back in the 80s, judging by the cars. And... Uh, while we were in the Bahamas and we got back to Fort Lauderdale, we realized that our car had been broken into. Someone obviously wanted my accordion. Um, and, but that's, we were, that trip was actually part of a, a business trip. We were going to be doing some other things. So we had all kinds of stuff in the car waiting for us for the next leg of our trip. And that was all taken. And the thing about it is they, they didn't just get our stuff. They really stole our peace as well. We were pretty rattled by this and frustrated. We're in the middle of our vacation. Now we have to deal with fixing the car and the insurance claim and getting all new stuff. So, again, it's, it's bigger than just the items. And we live in a broken world where people steal, they lie, they deceive. But as God's people, we're called to live different lives. Uh, Dan... Ariely, a professor at Duke University, he, he wrote a book uh, called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And in it, one of, he does this experiment where, uh, and he did this with a large number of people, uh, they're given uh, a, a simple test, a test of, I think it was something like 20 very straightforward math problems that pretty much anybody could solve given enough time. Problem is they didn't give them enough time to solve all these math problems. They only gave them like five minutes or something like that. And then they gave them the answers. They told them to grade their, their tests. And then they would walk over to the, uh, to the proctor, the person that was kind of examine, you know, overseeing. And they, would, they were simply told, tell us how many answers you got right. You put your test in the shredder. And then you say how many answers you got right. And they would give you, I don't know, it was like a dollar for every question you got right or something. Well, what this researcher found is that 
or what, what the people taking the test didn't know is that the shredder wasn't actually shredding the test. They had rigged the shredder so it was only shredding the outside of the paper. So it made the shredding noises, but they could go back later and see how many they actually solved correctly. And what he found was that uh, on average, people would solve four problems correctly, but they would usually report getting six right. And Ariely says, we find a lot of people cheat in a little way. Very, very few people cheat a lot. And so he writes this. He says, we want to view ourselves as honest, wonderful people. And when we cheat, as long as we cheat just a little bit, we can still view ourselves as good people. That was his kind of takeaway. In other words, we tell ourselves, it's not bad if I only steal a little bit or if I steal in some harmless, small way. We make these, these judgments. It's, it's kind of like this um, scene from the TV show Friends. Let's watch. What'd you get? USA Today. Nice, put it with the others. And I also got two more apples. We're four short of a bushel. God, I feel so alive. I love being in the country. Also, got these great salt and pepper shakers from the restaurant. Oh, that's not cool. Dude, none of this is cool. Look, Chandler, you, you have to find the line between stealing and, and taking what the hotel owes you. Um, for example, a hair dryer, no, no, no. But shampoos and conditioners, oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, the, the salt shaker is off limits, but the salt... <laughs> I wish I'd thought this through. I think I get what you mean, though. Like, the, the lamp is, uh, is the hotel's, but the bulbs... Oh, you, you already got that. Not my first time in a hotel, my friend. Okay, uh, how about this? No, 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 you can't take the remote control. Yes, but the batteries... <laughs> so maybe we don't go to that extreme. But we do tell ourselves things like, there's a fine line between stealing and taking what is owed me. Might not be hotel shampoos, but it, it might be unreported time off, it might be unreported taxes, and on and on it goes for, for you to consider um, in, in your own life. For example, have you ever not gotten charged for something at, that you ordered at the restaurant? You get the receipt back and you're like, oh, it's not on here, good day. Right? Or you go through the checkout and you realize you get too much change back. What do you do in that situation? Uh, I know of a pastor uh, whose dad once, he, he writes about his dad once got too much change back. And so he went back and he told the cashier, you gave me too much change back. And she said, oh, I know. I also know that you're the pastor of the church down the street and I wanted to see what you would do about it. So... Parents, remember, you know, that really stuck with him. It was a great lesson for him as a child, and I think we need to remember not only are our children watching, but cashiers are watching and other people are watching. And, uh, you know, whether other people find out or not, whether they set us up or not, there is one who always knows, and that's God. And he's not sitting there comparing the size of the thing. He's simply saying, whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. It's not about levels. 
saying to yourself, well, at least I didn't take the really big stuff. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I didn't swindle as many people as Bernie Madoff. The point is, we're guilty regardless of what any of those other people do or did. So what I'd like to do is shift from looking at this kind of legalistic definition of stealing, let's ratchet it up a notch and look at it how God looks at it. What are some of the first words that a child learns? Mom, dad, no. And then soon after that enters the vocabulary, mine. It's one of the first words that uh, we had a preschool at our congregation that I served. And, you know, you just watch these children. And, of course, one of the things we're trying to teach them in the preschool is how to share. Uh, but it's definitely, it's kind of built right in. We know that word. I wish I could say we grow out of it as we get older. Um, but I think we, we move from just the items on the playground, we move into other things in our life that we claim for ourselves. And so what happens is God wants us to shift our thinking from where we start out at, and especially as an adult, what's mine is mine. We have an entitlement mentality. I worked for it. I got it first. It belongs to me. It's mine. And then we begin to look at how we can evolve in this, we begin to look at what our neighbor has, our neighbor's things, and we decide that we need or want what they have. And so we begin to think, what's yours is mine. Um, not just, you know, um, taking it, but even wanting it. We'll, del we'll delve into this more deeply when we get to the ninth and 10th commandments. Um, but the, the idea is both of these are wrong. How God wants us to see it is What's mine is God's. Uh, in other words, moving from I own it or I'll take it to I have it and I'll give it. A little illustration on this from uh, my own life. I was, we have a car wash near our place and I was washing, the, went through the car wash and I was vacuuming the car after and a young man came up to me and asked if I had uh, some money for food for him and I I told him, honestly, I, I don't. I pretty much do everything with credit cards. Um, but I think I had like, you know, a dollar or two for tips or something like that. So I, I gave him just a couple small bills. But I said, but what I can do is, you know, there's a restaurant right next to the car wash. If you're still around when I finish doing this, I'll go over and buy you a sandwich. And, and he did. He stuck around and he, and he bought the sandwich. Now the, I bought him the sandwich. And uh, what, what really, why I'm telling you this story is what came after because um, there was an interesting side story to that, and that is that the, the car wash operator, the man who kind of turns on the car wash when you're going through, he had been very generous with me on a couple of previous occasions. I had gone through, and I had um, one, you know, one of those loyalty cards or whatever, and I was able to use my free wash that I had earned, and so he gave me a new loyalty card. I didn't pay for a wash, and he, but he punched it anyway on the new loyalty card. It's like, well, I didn't pay for that wash. But he didn't just punch it once, he punched it twice. I thought, well, this is good. You're giving me a loyalty card with the two first ones punched. Well, then I brought my other car through a few days later, and, and interestingly enough, what you're supposed to get on the third wash is something, I don't know, air freshener or whatever. He didn't have it, so uh, I actually paid for this wash, but he punched it two more times. So I paid for one wash, and I've got four punches. And I, as I was telling my wife, Rochelle, about this, I said, and I, and I realized that as the words are coming out of my mouth, well, it's easy for him to be generous with something that's not his. And I thought to myself, isn't everything 
that we have, not ours? Aren't you and I called to be generous with, with stuff that is not ours? We, we learn that all came from God. I mean, we learn in the Bible, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. Started out as God's, it ends up as God's, it's all God's. As a matter of fact, if you were at the conference yesterday, Katie Sensmeyer, uh, she talked about, she said, look at the person next to you, right? They're, they're a gift from God. They're, they're given to you by God. Look at the, the shirt on your back. Look at anything you see, it's coming from God. It's all His. He, and He actually gives us more than we need. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, so that context is today, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those who are in need. In other words, don't steal in order to have more for yourself. Work so you can give more away. I'm kind of summarizing this. Uh, a biblical example of this we can find in our gospel reading from today, Zacchaeus. And, and uh, what I want to do with the last part of our time is kind of just dig into that story of Zacchaeus and realize how uh, Jesus transformed Zacchaeus' life and he transformed Zacchaeus' view of possessions. To move, Zacchaeus actually moved from cheating and conniving and even stealing um, to giving. And so let's see what we can learn from Zacchaeus. Uh, this was, I think I went the wrong direction. Okay, so Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. I'm using a slightly different uh, translation than we had for our gospel reading today. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, tax collectors, just something to know about tax collectors, they were actually um, Israelites or Jews who were working for the Roman government in order to collect taxes. So they were already uh, despised because they were viewed as traitors, right? You, you are a, a local, you're a brother uh, in, the, in the faith, and you're a, a person of Israel, and you're working for the Roman government to take our taxes. Uh, so they were, they were not liked by their own people. But further, it says he was wealthy. So how does a tax collector become wealthy? Well, tax collectors typically took more than was required for the tax, and they pocketed the rest. And the thing is, Rome was aware of this, but they looked the other way. As long as Rome got their tax the quota, the tax collector was allowed to take whatever he could extort or gain in any way that he saw fit. It was kind of viewed as a perk of this loathsome job. All right, so that's how a tax collector becomes wealthy. And what we know about Zacchaeus is he's not just a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So the setup of this gospel story is that he is the worst of the worst. He's a sinner, but he wants to see the Son of God. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I can kind of relate to Zacchaeus being the vertically challenged man that I am. Uh, and can I just say to all of you tall people out there, this is, this is an aside. This is not, you know, the inspired word of God or anything, but this, sets, this is understanding Zacchaeus. So if you're going into a movie theater and 
or into a show and you see those wonderful seats that are still open, they're good seats, would you, before you sit down, look and see if there's a short person behind you? Because we picked those seats because we could still see. You could sit just probably about anywhere else and see just fine. So, you know, and this also just, this applies to, to ladies with big hair um, or men with big hair for that matter. I'm not bitter, I'm not bitter. I'm just saying that think of the short people because there's, there's not a lot of sycamore fig trees in the theater. Uh, so we don't have a lot of options. But anyway, so he climbed up um, into this tree so he could, he could get a look at Jesus. And so as we're looking at this story, um, what we want to do is not just note what Zacchaeus did, but what we can learn from what he did. So the first point that I want to note is, as you and I move in this understanding of taking to giving, which is what Zacchaeus, the transformation Zacchaeus does, the first is to be humble. You might ask, well, how is Zacchaeus humble in this situation? Well, it says that he ran and climbed to this tree. In the ancient world, men didn't run and men didn't climb. Those are things that children did. That's why it was such a scandal when the father ran out to the prodigal son, uh, when that son was coming home and he lifted up his robe and he ran out to greet him. This was scandalous because it was considered beneath them to do that. So here he is running and climbing. That, that took some humility. But he didn't care because uh, he didn't care what other people thought because he wanted to see Jesus. So I would kind of just put to you, what is it in your life that you're maybe able to humble yourself so that you can get a closer look at Jesus? Uh, maybe it's coming to church this morning. Um, instead of doing something that you could be doing to, you know, to, to further or boost your image. Maybe it's serving in church, and we can maybe just take a moment to kind of, um, you know, recognize and appreciate those people who work behind the scenes in those not-so-glamorous jobs of, you know, getting the refreshments ready or, you know, preparing uh, the communion or getting the bulletins ready or preparing uh, the video screens. All these things, it's not glamorous, but they do this so that we can get a better look at Jesus. So that's a question for you. How can you, to start this transformation, how can you and I humble ourselves? And it might not be just uh, humbling ourselves in that way, but it might even be doing things that puts ourselves in an uncomfortable position that maybe doesn't put ourselves in a best light so that we can ultimately see Jesus better. When we move on with the story, uh, when Jesus reached that spot. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. So the point I want to make out of this after we humble ourselves is to be honest. Zacchaeus, the first honest thing that Zacchaeus did is he didn't run and hide, right? He's short. He could have probably been like, who are you talking to, Jesus, and then just kind of snuck out in the crowd, and he might have been able to get away, but he didn't. He welcomed that invitation of Jesus. But then he went uh, to dinner with him. We know that that happened. We don't know how long it was or how, you, know, what, uh, you know, what all exactly they talked about. But we do know that the, that the dinner happened because people muttered and said he's gone to be the guest of this sinner. We don't know the details of the conversation, but we can tell from the story that Zacchaeus was honest about his failing, about his shortcomings, about his, the areas in his life where he had done wrong. He admits to Jesus, I have defrauded him. 
A lot of times I think we try to hide. We're not honest with what, when we're confronted by Jesus. That's where I'm going with this. Uh, we, you know, what happens in this story, it, it, it's foolish when we do that because Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus in the tree, and first of all, he knows his name. So wouldn't it have been foolish for Zacchaeus to think he didn't already know other things about, about him? I think we do this as well. Um, it, uh, uh, you know, it doesn't disqualify. The fact of who Zacchaeus was didn't disqualify him from Jesus' presence. As a matter of fact, Jesus has shown, shows time and time again in the Gospels he would rather eat with the tax collectors and the sinners than the Pharisees who didn't think they needed anything from Jesus. So it doesn't actually disqualify us. It actually qualifies us to come. And, and to be honest with Jesus, uh, not cover up those things that we're ashamed of, but simply to talk to Jesus about them. Maybe over a meal, like Zacchaeus did, like the meal that we're going to have here today. Not to run and hide, to humble ourselves. We, we assume a kneeling posture at communion. When I teach children about receiving First Communion, and I think it's, you know, it's always something we, we, no matter how many years we've been coming to communion, we need to be reminded of the basics. This is not a time for posturing. This is not a time for, for prideful thinking of ourselves. Uh, we come, and we're all, we're all equally sinners at, at the communion room before Jesus. What makes us worthy to receive is not the things we've done or haven't done, but recognizing how unworthy we are. Right? They say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. To which I say, thank God that he does. He welcomes us. Let us be honest when we come into the presence of Jesus, not trying to sugarcoat our shortcomings, but, but receiving Jesus' correction. So the story continues. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the, to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody of anything, I will pay you back. I will pay back, excuse me, not you. I will pay back four times the amount. So this is a very brief interaction that we see in the gospel, but it was transformative for Zacchaeus to move him from someone who was taking to someone who is now giving from a heart of stealing to a heart of generosity. And that's the, that's the last point. How do we move uh, and, and we view this commandment not as one of just staying in our lane and not taking what belongs to our neighbors, but ultimately being generous, being generous with the thing that God has given us. And what happens, I don't want to lose sight of the fact, what moved Zacchaeus from being a taking person to being a giving person? It was an honest encounter with Jesus who transformed his life. In that moment, he realized that Jesus forgave him and actually gave to him, and he wanted then to give to others. And I think often what can happen, what we do is we like to take Jesus' generosity toward us, but then we aren't very generous toward others. Or we're just generous enough to where we're still comfortable. But the gospel compels us to be generous to the point where it's uncomfortable to sacrificially give of ourselves, of our time and our resources because Jesus sacrificially gave himself for us. I think the difference between a life of taking and a life of giving can be seen very well in this verse from John's gospel where Jesus is speaking. Let's, in fact, read this out loud together from John 10. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So it's another way to see this is that taking and stealing is the, is the way of the enemy. But giving sacrificially and giving to the full, that's the way of God. And therefore, that's the way of God's people. So my question for you is, have you had a Zacchaeus transformation? One where you've been confronted with your greed, or maybe your theft, and you encounter the forgiveness of Christ, and it changes you to become giving and generous like he is. Because the truth is, friends, our stuff is not our stuff. Our stuff is on loan from God. We're called to use it to bless our neighbors. We're called to pour out sacrificially um, to love them as Christ has done. Because we have received this love from the Father when the Father sent his Son. He's saying, this is how much I love you. And then when Jesus gave up his life, he says, this is how much I'm willing to give for you. As a matter of fact, when he's there in front of Pilate and in front of the soldiers, he says, and I love this, you don't take my life from me. I give it to you. Friends, we're called to be people of grace, people who desire not to have and certainly not to take, but rather to give, to give like it's all God's. And I think it's just wonderful, again, looking at this verse, that we can be used by God as agents of grace, not to take and to steal like the enemy, but to give and to, and to love and to give fully like God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we ask today that you give us your strength to be able to give, that you would cause us not to view our things as our own or others' things as better in our hands, but that we understand that everything we have is from you and belongs to you, Father. You are the giver of all things, and we thank you. We desire to honor you in the way that we live. So Lord, grant us the strength and the wisdom to know how to give as you open the doors of opportunity for us to be generous with our lives and with our resources. We pray this in Jesus' holy name.